I tend to focus on the big stories, the main events, the main characters. Because the assumption is that's who I can learn the most from uh, as a Christian. But the Bible is also filled with, with lesser stories and lesser characters that often get overlooked. In fact, the one I want to talk about this morning uh, I looked back in my records. I had not mentioned this story for four years in my preaching or teaching or anything. Um, 
because they get kind of tucked away behind the big ones. Uh, this particular story comes from the book of Acts in the ninth chapter. And the ninth chapter begins with a bang. It's the conversion of Saul. This dramatic story of Jesus appearing to Saul with a blinding light and, and this uh, Jesus persecutor now becomes a great preacher of the gospel. That's a very dramatic story, and it's easy to kind of quit there. But if you read on in chapter 9 to the end, you find out that there is another person who made a great impact on the lives of those around them. Let me just read this. I'm going to start in 9, uh, verse 32. It says, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About the time she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter, Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood around him. All the widows stood around him. The windows were around him, too. <laughs> I guess I do need new glasses after all. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter arrived in this town called Lydda. And he heard that there was a man named Aeneas there who was sick. He, in fact, he was paralyzed. And so he preached the gospel, and then he confirmed the power of his message by healing Aeneas. And about the time that that was happening, a woman named Tabitha had died in the nearby town of Joppa. And they sent for Peter to come and to help her. Now, we don't really know a lot about Tabitha. That was her Hebrew name, Tabitha. Her Greek name was Dorcas. Personally, I'd stick with Tabitha. <laughs> I mean... I, I can't help but when I read that, I thought about being in the seventh grade. I said, could you imagine walking into the seventh grade and saying, hi, I'm Dorcas. 
I'm not sure you would survive uh, the teasing that you would get for that. So um, we're just going to stick with Tabitha if that's all right. Actually, both names mean the same thing. They mean gazelle, which in the poetic language of the Middle East was a term to signify grace and beauty. And apparently, Tabitha lived up to her name. We don't know what she looked like. We don't know if she was married. We don't know if she had children. We know virtually nothing about her except two things that Luke tells us in those few verses in Acts 9. First of all, we know that she believed in Jesus. They referred to her as a disciple named Tabitha which means she was a follower of Christ. She had heard the good news, and she had received it and given her heart to Christ. And the second thing is what came out of that. It said she was always doing good and helping the poor. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Apparently, she was a gifted seamstress, and she would sew clothing and robes for the widows who lived in Joppa. Tabitha's life teaches us that we, as followers of Christ, should always seek to use what we have to show God's love to others. I mean, that's our primary mission as a Christian. Did you know that? And I know that because the night before Jesus died, after he had washed the disciples' feet, he told them, there's a new command I give you. And it really wasn't that new, but it was new to be presented in the form of a command. And he simply said, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. And Tabitha understood that. She had the ability to create clothing. She had the resources to purchase the material, to make the clothing. And she said, that is what I believe the Lord wants me to do, to sew these clothes and to give them away to these widows. Uh, to be a widow in those days put you in a very precarious situation. There was no government aid no social security, survivor benefits that you could have as a widow. You were left to fend for yourself and depended upon the charity of family members and others to provide for your needs, to survive. And Tabitha felt that what the Lord wanted her to do most with what she had was to help provide clothing that these widows could not afford to buy on their own. What about us? What do we have that we can use to show God's love to others? We have our time, we have our resources, we have our abilities, but specifically, what do you have that you can use to show God's love to others? And the follow-up question is, are you doing that? Are you doing that? It doesn't have to be big things. See, that's another lesson we get from Tabitha. Sewing clothing was not considered a big thing. 
It didn't get written up in the newspaper. She didn't win any social awards. She got no notoriety from it. The only ones who really noticed and appreciated it were the widows who received the clothing. It was a small thing. But it was a small thing that had a great impact on the lives of other people. And I think that's what God wants all of us to do as believers in Jesus Christ. It may be just a kind word to someone who is struggling. It may be an offer of help to someone who is in need and would never ask. It might be holding your tongue when you feel like being critical, but you choose not to say it instead. It could be any number of practical things that, that you know how to do, that you have the ability to do, that you have the resources to do it. And you say, how can I use this to help others? A great example is there's a church down in Indianapolis that started a ministry for single moms. And it's a car repair ministry. They know a lot of these single moms don't have the money to go get their oil changed. And they were running their cars way past when they were supposed to have basic service done. They weren't getting their tires rotated because they, they didn't have money for that stuff. And so one Saturday a month, there's about a half a dozen guys who are good mechanically. And they would come together and use the church garage and they would invite the single moms of the neighborhood to come in and they'd change their oil, they'd rotate their tires. If they were just very basic repairs their car needed, they would take care of it for free. That's a Tabitha kind of thing to do. Um, many of you use your cooking skills to bless others. I know Sue and I have personally benefited from many of you who have provided meals for us at various times when, when we could use the help. And I know you do that for many others as well. That's a Tabitha kind of thing to do. I know Kevin's favorite thing to do is moving people. Huh? <laughs> moving people. I, I don't even know how we got started in this, but a long time ago... Uh, we started getting calls from people who had to move, and they had no way to move. They didn't have any trucks. They didn't have any trailers. They didn't have any manpower. They said, we have to move Saturday, and we have no way to do it. Can the church help? And we thought, well, yeah, we could do that. So we'd get some guys together. Several of us are blessed with trucks. The church bought a big, nice, uh, enclosed trailer that's perfect for moving. It has a ramp on the back. And so we started moving people. Here's the problem. I've learned there are two, two truths about moving. First of all, when the person says, I don't really have much. It means they have a lot. When they say it won't take very long... It's going to take all day. I guess that's, there's a third truth. Uh, there's three. The third one is when they say, I'll be all packed and ready. Not so much. 
It's nothing like pulling out someone's drawers out of their dresser with their underwear and stuff in it and having to, you know, pack that in a box and people you don't even know. But it's something we could do. It was a Tabitha thing to do. We had the ability to do it. Now, the problem now is, as Kevin pointed out the last time we did it a few weeks ago, we're all getting a little older. Those sleeper sofas are getting really heavy. <laughs> so we need a younger generation. Like Bill Bronson's come along. He's joined the moving ministry. Uh, we need the younger generation to come along and say, yeah, we'll carry those couches and refrigerators for you. But, I mean, it's just simple, practical things. It's, it's taking an inventory of yourself. What do I have? What can I do? And how can I put that to use in practical ways to show God's love to other people? That's what Tabitha did. And even though it's a very short story, tucked away at the end of chapter 9 in Acts, it's a story that has been remembered for over 2,000 years. We call that a legacy. It's what people think of you after you're gone. It's how people remember you after you're gone. It's what people say about you after you're gone. A legacy is not something that is created when you die. A legacy is something that's created by what you do in life that makes a difference in the lives of others. I want to show you a video. A farmer and a teacher, a hooker and a preacher, riding on a midnight bus bound for Mexico. One was headed for vacation, one for higher education, and two of them were searching for lost souls. That driver never ever saw the stop sign, and 18 wheelers can't stop on a dime. There are three wooden crosses on the right side of the highway why there's not four of them heaven only knows i guess it's not what you take when you leave this world behind you it's what you leave behind you when you go that farmer left the harvest a home in 88 Faith and love for growing things in his young son's heart And that teacher left her wisdom in the minds of lots of children And did her best to give them all a better start And that preacher whispered, can't you see the promised land As he laid his blood-stained Bible in that hooker's hand there are three wooden 
cross is on the right side of the highway Why there's not four of them, heaven only knows I guess it's not what you take when you leave this world behind you It's what you leave behind you when you go That's the story that our preacher told last Sunday As he held that blood-stained Bible up for all of us to see He said, bless the farmer and the teacher and the preacher Who gave this Bible to my mama Who read it to me There are three wooden crosses on the right side of the highway Why there's not four of them, now I guess we know It's not what you take when you leave this world behind you It's what you leave behind you when you go There are three wooden crosses on the right side of the highway If you know me, you know I'm not a big fan of country music. But at midnight last night, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, and I was, I was on YouTube. And I remembered a song I'd heard a long time ago that really spoke to me. A country song named Three Wooden Crosses. And I looked it up and I said, got to use it tomorrow. It's not what you take when you leave the world behind you. It's what you leave behind you when you go. I mean, that could come straight out of, out of the Bible, couldn't it? The idea is there in the Bible. That the legacy of your life is not how much you achieve how many awards you win, how much notoriety you get, how famous you are, or how much stuff you accumulate. I've done hundreds of funerals. And I will mention some of those things, but I mention them in passing rather quickly. Because I know that those things don't represent the essence of the person's life. What I will speak about at length is how kind they were. The big smile they had for people. The time they took to be with people. The way they invested their life in their family and friends. That is their legacy. And that is what Tabitha had. And that is what her story inspires us to think about as well. I found myself sitting there last night thinking, how do I want to be remembered? What kind of things do I want people to say of me when I leave this world behind? Some of the best advice I ever got from a fellow pastor is that you should live your life backwards. Think about how you want to be remembered when you're gone. 
and choose to live your life every day so that that will be true. That's great advice. And Tabitha would agree. One of the neat things about her story is uh, not only did she come back to life uh, because Peter asked the Lord to restore her, but it said as a result, many people believed in the Lord. See, and that was the, pers- the point of all the miracles that were done, whether by Jesus or the apostles. None of them were done just to do something amazing. They were all done to point people to the Lord and to turn their attention to the Lord. Tabitha had done that in life. And now she was doing it in death and in rising again. I hope we will think about our legacies. I hope we will each give some thought to living our life backwards so that in the end we will be remembered as the people we hoped to be. Let us pray. God, I am grateful for the story of a woman named Tabitha Someone who could have been easily forgotten. But because you inspired your servant Luke to write the book of Acts, it is recorded for all of us. So that even today, we can learn from her. We thank you for her legacy of compassion and love for others. And we thank you that we have the opportunity to do the same. May we use what we are to be the people you created us to be. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. A lot of things that could be said about us when we're gone. But there's one thing I hope people will say about me above everything else. He loved the Lord, and he tried his best to serve him. I'll be happy with that. Because no legacy is complete if it doesn't include Christ. And if you're here this morning without Christ in your heart, then he's not in your legacy. And I'm going to invite you to come during this time of invitation. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to ask you during that song to come and let me receive you, to pray with you, to lead you in a simple statement of faith that says, I believe in Jesus. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. And that becomes the cornerstone, the foundation of your legacy. Let's stand together. We're going to sing hymn number 67, verses 1 and 3. And I invite you to come. <laughs>